This is the Music Publishing Podcast with your host, Dennis Tobensky. Join Dennis in his weekly nuts and bolts conversations with composers, performers, and other arts professionals as they navigate their careers as concert musicians in the 21st century. And now your host, Dennis Tobensky. Welcome to the Music Publishing Podcast. I'm here this week with Martha Mook, composer and violist. Welcome to the show, Martha. Thanks, Dennis. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm glad we, we got to make this work. Um, so, Martha, why don't you introduce yourself to my lovely listeners? <laughs> Your lovely listeners. Lovely. Yes. Um, so, I am a violist, electroacoustic mm-hmm. variety, a composer. I am um, producer, curator, I wear many hats, mm-hmm. and like um, hopefully I'm a lovely person too. I think you are. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise you wouldn't be here. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so um, tell us a bit about your background, like where, where you came from, how you kind of got, you know, Cliff's notes of how you got to, to where you are now. Yeah, so I'm a New York City native and proud of that. Nice. Born, hospital born in Manhattan. Lived in the Bronx, lived in Staten Island, lived in Queens, and skipped over Brooklyn, but my grandmother lived there, so okay. that counts. Got it covered. <laughs> and um, so, you know, New York City, I think once it gets in your blood, mm-hmm. it's hard to leave. Yeah. So uh, it has to do with gravity, I think. But um, and I went away. I always studied music. Mm-hmm. I, I discovered music in... in um, the end of my public school career, mm-hmm. the, uh, the string teacher from our, the uh, um, intermediate school came to start a program that fed into the middle school. Okay. This is when they still had string programs in public schools. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was great. I, I started on the viola because nobody else knew what a viola <laughs> was. Mm-hmm. And um, I d- it resonated with me right away. Yeah. The, the teacher wanted me to change to violin because I was... I was um, learning the viola quicker than the other kids were learning the violin, and it just didn't resonate with my soul when I mm-hmm. when I took it home. So yeah. I stuck with the viola, nice. and um, nice. went on through. It was a great music program in my high school, Tottenville High School, mm-hmm. and so I didn't go to to the high school performing arts. I stayed in my borough, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was great. I mean, you know, we had music theory and chamber music and all kinds of things. So um, then I went to SUNY Albany for my bachelor's degree, majored in, in music, viola performance. Took a year off, found my way, found a great teacher that um, brought me into where she was teaching uh, Maureen Gallagher was a wonderful violist, mm-hmm. plays with Orpheus and St. Luke's. And she was on the faculty at UMass in Amherst. Mm-hmm. So she recruited me to go there. And that's where I got my master's degree. Nice. Yeah, it was great. Um, because uh, I was in the graduate string quartet. Mm-hmm. And I didn't incur any, uh, any um, college tuition fees or anything. Oh, can't beat that. <laughs> so, yeah, it was great. It was a, a lovely Western Mass. It was a lovely place to spend two years. Nice. And uh, when did you come to composing? Where along that path? Through a back door somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the way of it? <laughs> so, I'm, I'm growing up, um, I, was, I played guitar, and my sister played guitar. We used to sing together, and I used to write songs. Mm-hmm. A lot of songs. Even uh, a song I wrote was uh, selected to be the song of the um, annual telethon at SUNY Albany. I got to sing that. I don't sing too often, but I sang that with some friends of mine. Cool. And um, but then I felt like I needed to go somewhere else with my creative voice, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't quite sure where to go. And then at some point, at the end of my high school career, a friend gave me or lent me um, an album. And on the album is uh, this person holding a blue violin, Mm. and he has a beard and mustache, and I'd never heard of him before. His name was Jean-Luc Ponty. Mm. 
And I went home and I listened to it, and my world exploded. <laughs> because um, the sounds that he was making, first of all, an amazing jazz player, jazz player mm. improviser, working with electronics in, in really interesting ways. And I, I just never knew that was possible yeah. to do with a string instrument. And so right away, I, it, again, that resonated with me. I knew mm -hmm. I had to explore that yeah. more. So I um, went out and I found all the... There weren't that many electric violists. I mean, yeah. there were more electric violinists. Mm -hmm. So I went and explored that realm, Noel Pointer and, and uh, Michael Urbaniak and... and um, uh, Didier Lockwood, whoever I could find, and just mm. started listening yeah. and listening to that sound world. And then I discovered Turtle Island String Quartet and Kronos Quartet and Laurie Anderson and all these different sound worlds from the string universe. Yeah. And um, so by the time I went to college and majoring in classical viola, mm -hmm. and but starting to find out how to how to um, access my creative voice yeah. in a way. So by the end of, of that, um, my senior year, I had my parents take me down to Manny's on 48th Street, which no longer exists. Mm -hmm. And I bought that same beautiful blue five-string violin. was made by Barkus Berry. And that was my first electric string instrument. Cool. And I bought... It was not a, a digital. They weren't really making digital um, effects gear in that mm -hmm. in that time. It was an analog piece of equipment, and I just started experimenting with that. Um, made my first demo tape, mm -hmm. literally taking the headphone jack, t plugging my headphones into the jack of this. Um, it was called an Effectron. Mm -hmm. put, I put the headphones on the floor between two towels and stuck a microphone for a tape recorder <laughs> in between. There was my recording studio, and nice. that's how I made my first demo tape, <laughs> nice. which was somehow interesting enough, good enough to get me a residency at Harvest Works. Nice. And that's where I first went into a music studio and, start, and you know, worked with Pro Tools for the first time. Mm -hmm. That's where I first encountered the, the wonderful Eventide um, H3000 harmonizer mm -hmm. that just blew my mind. Ah. And um, st started working. I actually recorded some of my first solo CD there. Nice. So I just gave you a real whirlwind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's all, it's a, you've, you've had a, an interesting certainly beginning to things. Yeah, but I think you beginning. asked me about composing, and I didn't have even talked about that. Oh, yes. Um, I guess what, what happened when I, when I got started into the world of electric strings, mm -hmm. there was really no repertoire. Yeah. I found, discovered a few composers here and there. There was mm -hmm. a, one in Canada and a, a few other um, composers, but I realized... I would have to create my own, so I, I never studied composition. I never studied jazz, mm -hmm. harmonies, or, or improvisation. I just sat in a dark room and, you know, for a long time and and figured it out and and played records and mm -hmm. played along with them and just started improvising. Nice. And uh, gradually, the improvisations became pieces mm -hmm. that I could identify and, you know, give them titles. Yeah. And so that, that was the first venture into, into the world of composition. Nice. Um, and I would compose and then figure out how to notate. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when you're working with electronics, sometimes you play one note and a whole lot of notes comes out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where they do odd things, you know, mm -hmm. they go in different directions and they create really interesting harmonies and how to notate that. Mm -hmm. So that's been something that I've I've been working on all of these many years. Nice, nice. And you've since obviously branched out beyond just writing for for strings. Yeah. So that sort of presented itself in in different ways. So one was I was I needed to create music for myself to mm -hmm. play. And then um, I happened to have a lot of 
composer friends mm -hmm. who had never written for an electric string instrument mm -hmm. and were very willing to try nice. to do it. Um, and so basically, they, they came to my studio and we mm -hmm. sat on the floor and they said, what happens when you do this? Or can you do this? And I have this idea. Mm -hmm. And it was a real give and take yeah. kind of scenario. And so I, I did two full concerts of works that were written for me. And recorded a few of them, and I still need to record the other ones. <laughs> That's on my bucket list. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, so that really, um, you know, the repertoire grew. Yeah. And my writing for the instrument grew. And then um, I created a string quartet that... Um, we came together actually on the request of David Bowie to perform with him at the Tibet House Benefit Concert in 2001. Nice. There's a longer story behind that, but <laughs> that was the first time that Scorchio came into existence. So I've written some works for us, for Scorchio, um, and then some other ensembles along the way, um, chamber ensembles, and um, and gradually... You know, it's just conversations grow, ideas grow out of conversations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, speaking to a friend of mine, a French horn player in an orchestra years and years ago, and he was a, the music director of a, a concert band in New Jersey, and we would say, yo, wouldn't it be great if we did something together, if we collaborated sometime? Yeah. And finally, at, at you know, during the break of this one rehearsal, we said, let's just do it. Mm -hmm. I'll write a piece for electric viola and concert band. Nice. Well, who, who was there to tell me no? Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, viola players are not allowed to write yeah, no. concert band music. So um, that started the ball rolling. And, um, you know, the idea was to try to get a consortium of mm. concert bands. But, you know, it's a little... Uh, a little challenging because I wasn't a known entity in mm -hmm. writing music for concert band. Mm -hmm. um, I was known as a you know a string player, an improviser, mm -hmm. and doing strange things you know, with music <laughs> in that in that realm. Um, but we did get another um, band to sign on, nice. so we had two bands, and that was through this Midwest Band and Orchestra Clinic oh, cool. that I go to every year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like you sneeze and you run into a band director. <laughs> yeah. So you better say, you know, excuse me, and then start a conversation, and you never know. Mm -hmm. Right on the spot, they can say, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I'll yeah. sign on. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. Nice. So I had the um, Gary Hill, the band director of Arizona State University, mm -hmm. who had heard of me at somehow, mm -hmm. whether it was an email or something, loved the idea. And on the spot said, yep, we'll sign on. So nice. I, you know, that that was the beginning of uh, my legacy as a concert band composer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the, a new piece. This is your third concert band piece. Yeah, and the, the second piece actually also came out of um, meeting a concert band director at the Midwest Band and Orchestra Clinic. Okay. So all ye composers, mm -hmm. and thanks to my friend Alex Shapiro, who is great at at um, connecting people, mm -hmm. and um, and that's the way to go. It's a real camaraderie, and yeah. I've met so many people through Alex and through going to this this conference. Mm -hmm. uh, there's other band conferences as well, yeah. but um, you know you do the schmooze, you mm -hmm. you start a conversation. Um, maybe it's with a, a member of an ensemble that you know is looking to commission composers. Mm -hmm. Um, chamber ensembles or, or band. And so, uh, yeah, so I, I ended up at, sitting next to this band director at a dinner hosted by another band director. Okay. And three months later, I got an email. He loved my idea and the way I was talking about music, that I had a very different approach mm -hmm. to composing. And um, was, I, don't, I don't have barriers, you know. Yeah. It's like I wasn't taught... It has to be this way. Yeah. I'm like, I want to go this way. This is what I feel. I feel I have a lot of, you know, I, I play classical. I play pop music. I play Broadway. I play, play all different kinds. I played on hip-hop records. Yeah. 
and I love it all, and I respect it all, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so, you know, if I want to include some of that in my music or have some other popular element, or if I want to put a cadenza in the middle of the piece Xing, mm -hmm. the, that was the first piece for electric viola with concert band, that I kick on a distortion pedal and just, mm -hmm. you know, jam out for a few minutes and yeah. put on my loop and, you know... And then the band comes in with a you know drum set, and it's like rock and roll <laughs> through the end. Um, well, I'm so digressing, but uh, I, I just I also want to backtrack. Um, mm -hmm. One thing that I that I do in all of my works mm -hmm. that are commissioned by other entities, mm -hmm. I incorporate a certain level of improvisation mm -hmm. for the players. Okay, whether it's a small ensemble or a large ensemble. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important thing that a lot of um, ensemble members don't really get to do, yeah. and so they're they're afraid, mm -hmm. they're inhibited by it. N not as much in the band world because a lot of people in the band world also plays jazz, mm -hmm. and they may be more used to improvisation. Yeah. But certainly more in the orchestral or concert music world, mm -hmm. um, you know, and you ask somebody to to improvise. They won't even know how to play a scale. Yeah. That's how that's how closed up they get. Yeah. And um, so in my music, as in my educational workshops and presentations, it's very important for people to to find that comfort zone where they they can find that voice within them. Yeah. And so um, in in Xing in that first concert band work. In Skandas, which is the second concert band work, which I don't play in, mm -hmm. it's just the band. And in my new piece, which is being premiered this Friday, and it's for a high school concert band. Mm -hmm. And it's full of improvisation. Yeah. And the kids at first didn't quite know what to do. I have them doing all <laughs> kinds of things. The trumpets are moving from one side to another. Mm -hmm. They're turning around, facing the back. I'm having them stand up, and the, the wind players stand up and have conversations with them. And they're like... What? <laughs> what do you mean have a conversation without words? Yeah. I'm like, well, think of it. Mm -hmm. This is your opportunity to express how, you know, upset you are with this person or mm -hmm. how, you know, mad you are or how much you love somebody without telling them in words. Mm -hmm. Tell them through your through your music. Yeah. And you don't have to play a melody. Mm -hmm. Play some kind of a sound. Yeah. Doesn't have to be pretty. Play mm -hmm. a, play some kind of a rhythm. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about it. And yeah. so they have to think. They stop and they think, what should I play? And, and so I get on them. Don't think, just play. Yeah. Answer me. Yeah. You know? And we do it right on the spot. We do a little give and take. And, then, and they start to get it. Yeah. And the coolest thing was in the rehearsal with, with this high school band yesterday. There's, a, there's an open section for improvisation. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I don't have my uh, wireless. Otherwise, I'd, I'd go in and walk around the band. Uh -huh. um, and some of the players actually got up and came over to me. Oh, cool. And they started improvising with me. And we had a little, there was a sax player and a trombone player. Nice. And it was so amazing. I'm, yeah. my, I'm getting chills now because <laughs> it was like, that's what it's all about. Yeah. They're getting it. They're finding their voices. Mm -hmm. And so that's what, no matter what level of, of band, and um, this is what hopefully is going to happen. My intention is for this to happen Next year, with the, the commission that I have from the Chamber Orchestra of Philadelphia, mm -hmm. um, that's, gonna, that's very exciting. That's, yeah. you know, that's a real professional, top-notch mm -hmm. group. Yeah. And um, I think this is going to be a stretch for them, mm -hmm. too, getting them to improvise and find their comfort zone yeah. in that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I, I grew up as a violist, and uh, I was fortunate to be, like, in... Like the choir and the band, I kind of did all of it. And with the choir, like do jazz choir, so there's there was that element of improvisation there. And um, but yeah, as a string player, that was not a thing that we did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no one would have been comfortable improvising. Yeah. The, the the band, you know, there was also the jazz band. So everybody kind of, you know, and with the marching band and just the repertoire in general over there, it, it was much more friendly to. Um, improvisation and thinking outside of what's just on the page. Yes. A, a string player is just like, th those are the dots. I play those dots. <laughs> right, right. 
And um, so that's one of the, you know, when I go in to do a, a workshop, mm-hmm. you know, at a school. or And this is, this is also teaching the teachers as much as the students. Oh, absolutely. Because they don't know how to start with this. Yeah. And I tell them, you know, this is a safe place. What you're normally not allowed to do mm-hmm. in class or in orchestra, yeah. you can do here. Yeah, yeah. And I teach them all my different effects and things that they can do and the way that they can play and tap on the instrument and, and make strange fluttering sounds <laughs> and, and create. Like, I did this uh, group with this group yesterday, this group of, of middle schoolers. And I taught them all these different... Um, they used to be called extended techniques, but they're, they're not really. Yeah, you know, yeah. They're just other sounds mm-hmm. without pl- playing an actual note. Mm-hmm. And I said, let's let's just create a story. Let's play the story. And we ended up with a ghost tapping on the window, and there was wind, and then the ghost got blown out to sea on a pirate ghost ship. (laughs) And then and I taught them how to sort of scratch a little bit, and then the boat hit a a reef and it sank. (laughs) It was and we played all of that. And they were so they were like they'd never done that before. It was the coolest thing. So I'm like you know, maybe tomorrow when you go into orchestra and a teacher tells you you have to play those little notes and you have mm-hmm. to play it when I tell you, and that's all good. Yeah. But after school, mm-hmm. continue to find those stories. Yeah. See where that ghost ship went to, mm-hmm. you know, or create some other kind of sounds. And yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I'm glad that people are doing this. <laughs> they're they're well, bringing it into the schools and bringing it to yes. people. So it's not terrifying and weird yeah i mean i i never had that mm-hmm. when i was going through school so yeah. this is something that i feel um you know i had to just work it all out on my own mm-hmm. once i was a grown-up mm-hmm. you know unfortunately i didn't have you know that many people saying no you can't do that no you can't do that yeah. and my parents were always very supportive they were not musical but they were very supportive of whatever direction i wanted to go into and and i had teachers that you know were very supportive as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they taught me how to play the instruments, and I certainly did that, but they were very encouraging when I was, you know, trying my wings at some other things. Yeah. And so that's, you know, that's kind of one of my reasons for being on this planet, is to to be a little bit of a guiding light. Mm-hmm. So Because I think it's so important, and maybe it will, you know, save a lot of people from you know just keeping so much inside of them mm-hmm. if they're if they're able to access their their inner voices and their way of ex- expression yeah. I mean, not everybody has to be a wonderful singer or mm-hmm. a world class player um, you can be you know a lawyer an accountant mm-hmm. but know that you have access to something inside when you need to step away from all those numbers or all the notes or the little words or whatever mm-hmm. that you know have to be within the margins. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like going out and playing sports. Mm. It's kind of, it's another way of, of um, accessing that within you. Let's something out yeah. that needs to be let out. And a lot of people don't know. They don't know they have the tools. They don't know it's really buried in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And they just need, you know, a little flashlight shining around in their yeah. inner sanctum. there it is look i found your creativity yeah (laughs) it has to come out this way exactly yeah yeah there's so many people who just think i'm not creative it's like you haven't tried (laughs) if you try you it's a muscle you flex it yeah i think we'd all have a lot more respect for other people as Mm -hmm. well and um maybe a lot less yelling at (laughs) each other yeah a little more patience a little more Mm -hmm. understanding yeah so that's. I, should, yeah. <laughs> I, I I hope that we would. Um, so, going going back a little bit, um, let me figure out what I'm trying to ask here. Um, you, you sort of decided that you weren't. You were saying you know, before we we started recording that you decided not to go on the path that like that that one path that you're supposed to take, and you decided to sort of make make your career for yourself. Yeah, I think I knew that um, by the time I got to to college, Mm -hmm. you know, I knew I wanted to study music, Mm -hmm. but I was also interested in other things. So I ended up 
working in other aspects of the uh, Performing Arts Center mm -hmm. at SUNY Albany. It's a Performing Arts Center, and one side is music, and the other side is theater. Mm -hmm. And there's like a wall yeah. in the middle, <laughs> and you dare not cross over. I know. But I started taking theater classes, mm -hmm. tech and, and shop, and um, working, you know, and, and hanging shows and loading in things. And so I became friends with all the theater people, and yeah. so I was allowed to go back and forth. Mm -hmm. and. And then um, one of my side jobs was also doing stage management. And the so I was doing things in the, in the Performing Arts Center as well. I was house manager. I was stage manager. can't tell you how many concerts that I performed in <laughs> that I was both, including the lighting person. And that, that day, you know, they didn't have computers in, that, in those days. You had yeah. to pull these big things. And <laughs> but it gave me great experience and mm -hmm. also great respect for the people behind the scenes yeah. and that has really served me well oh, yeah. and um, I carried that with me through um, when I went to graduate school mm -hmm. I also worked in um, in the uh, production uh, with one well, with stage crew and you know loading loading shows in and hanging lights and learning to run spotlights and and um, um, you know, just being on the inside of what it takes to put a production together mm -hmm. because, you know, usually the musicians come in and, you know, it's too hot or it's too cold or the light's in their eyes or this or that. And mm -hmm. they, you know, sort of start demanding and they don't understand that, you know, these people have been there since 6 o'clock in the morning. And, <laughs> and, and you know, you know I, I early on in my career, I, I um, started doing tours, mm -hmm. you know, professional tours. My first one was with the music of Andrew Lloyd Webber. Mm -hmm. Sarah Brightman was the big star. Oh, yeah. And that was, you know, every day was a truck and, and bus thing. Mm -hmm. So every day we were on the, you know, on the bus in a different venue in a different city. And I, and I got to be friends with the crew very quickly. Yeah. Um, make friends with the crew. <laughs> make, it, make it or break it oh, for you. Totally. You know, um, but, you know, you dare not ask an electrician to, you know, move your music stand or, you know, or something. Mm -hmm. You have to sort of know the parameters. Yeah. Um, but again, it's just, it's that healthy respect for what puts, makes the whole production mm -hmm. as one. Yeah, totally. And um, I, it, it all came together in my eyes the very first time I went to see Cirque du Soleil uh. at Battery Park City years ago. And from the moment that you walk in, you give them your ticket, the show begins. Okay, yeah. Not when you sit down and the lights go down and up on stage. But the moment you walk into the grounds, that's when the show begins. Everybody's in costume. Mm -hmm. Even the, the crew that are running lights and hanging lights and, and running the show, mm -hmm. they're all in a kind of costume. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the show. Interesting. So that was a big aha moment for me as well. Yeah. Um, because you know, next time you go to a symphony orchestra concert, sit there and watch the orchestra walk out on stage. Mm -hmm. And there's like little concept of of the audience yet. Mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the, the go button doesn't start until they've tuned and the conductor, you know, says go. Yeah. And so I, I got the idea early on, as soon as I walk out on stage, I become, I am the performer. Yeah. Not finding my way to the chair, but I am on my way to the to the chair, mm -hmm. you know, and um, that also has served me well too. Nice. So. Nice. And you've done a whole yeah. You, you mentioned earlier you've done a, a wide range of playing, going from the concert world to you know hip hop and yeah. So. Between. So I think you know finding discovering Jean Luc Ponty early on mm -hmm. and and going you know. Um, starting on my own to discover my voice mm -hmm. outside the classical realm yeah. um, really opened it up for me. And um, I welcomed any opportunity to play with any kind of artist. And, um, you know, it was, I got to be known for um, producers and songwriters, mm -hmm. you know, that wanted to use string players, but they didn't have charts written out. Mm -hmm. And... Or they had some charts written out. But I, you know, I remember going specifically into it. It was a, like a hip-hop 
session, and the you know they had charts written out for the string quartet, and the quartet was like playing it so strict, mm-hmm. not listening to the music which was in our headphones, yeah. and we finally had to you know get over it and, mm-hmm. and do the vibe, and then find you know it was that was it, yeah, um, or going in you know and and having just a a, a chord chart, mm-hmm. you know here this is the song, play something. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's make it or break it mm-hmm. that way. Actually, very, very early on in his career, I, I did some demo work for Maxwell, mm. the recording artist. And, um, and that, was the, that was the case. There was no charts. It yeah. was just I had to play something. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think it's really important. You know, we were talking about uh, people you know, graduating now mm-hmm. from conservatories or you know any kind of music program, yeah. and what are the opportunities out there to be a professional musician? Mm-hmm. Um, if you know just performing, unless you're in one of the top, you know, A-listed orchestras like the Philharmonic or the Met Opera Orchestra, you know, mm-hmm. or other cities that have famous orchestras yeah. <laughs> but I'm New York centric yeah so um, you know you, you're gonna bust your butt running around and doing a lot of different kind of playing mm-hmm. as a freelancer yeah. if you're lucky you get called for Broadway a Broadway show mm-hmm. but you're not guaranteed if that's gonna run six months or yeah. a year or six years or mm-hmm. you know some of them are running longer but you can't count with that and yeah. you have to hope you're gonna get called for the next one or the orchestra world, um, you know, it's not like it was 20 years ago. Um, so you really have to be creative in what you're what you're doing. I think there's a lot more people just forming their own ensembles mm-hmm. and making their own ways, and that's great. Um, that's something that just really, over the past 15, 20 years, also has has um, been evolving. Yeah. Yeah, the landscape is totally. Holy yeah, I mean, you know, when I, in 2001, when I created Through the Walls, that the ASCAP new music yeah, series, I, I mean, I did that because I didn't know a, really a, a venue or um, a category to place mm-hmm. myself, because I wasn't writing, you know, traditional concert music, and I wasn't writing traditional pop or commercial, yeah. you know, so I'm like, what am I? What am I doing? Mm-hmm. So I made it up. Yeah. This is what I am, a composer-performer. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, you know, ASCAP said, we believe in what you're doing, and they they sponsored it. And, and Steve Walter at the Cutting Room was like, that's great. You know, yeah. he was a jazz player, got, you know, from Berkeley. And, mm-hmm. and you know, they... You know, you have to make a buck when you own a, a you know a bar and music <laughs> yeah. venue. But he's like, I love what you're doing, and so we were able to to go in there and produce eight seasons of Through the Walls, and we introduced a lot of people in the in the new music realm mm-hmm. that may not have gone into play in a venue like the Cutting Room. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, by the time we we finished in 2008, it was like there were other venues starting to emerge and uh, and you know other ensembles that didn't even think tw- twice about playing concert music mm-hmm. in a bar. Yeah. So <laughs> you know but it had to have begun, you know, somewhere. Yeah, so. yeah. I like I love the uh, moving out of the concert hall. I, that's always something that I've enjoyed. Like going somewhere else. Yeah, I mean playing in galleries, playing yeah. in in non-traditional venues. Um, I always try to find something. I mean, one of my latest projects, my my latest CD, No Ordinary Window, mm-hmm. uh, I created an ex- a performance experience mm-hmm. that's literally based around windows. Mm-hmm. But it's not just a window where you, here's a window you're looking out. Mm-hmm. I've come up with uh, the different meanings of window, yeah. you know, like a window of opportunity. Mm-hmm or window to the world, mm-hmm. or window to the soul, mm-hmm. or stained glass window, yeah. window as art. And uh, I find venues that are based around windows um, where the light or the scenery is changing, mm-hmm. and that becomes part of the show. It's very kind of low-tech yeah. in a way. Yeah. But I also like to make people think of experiencing music in different ways, mm-hmm. not just listening with your ears, um, I also 
in, in, invite them to know that when they hear me perform, they're never going to hear the same thing twice. Yeah. It's just a once-in-a-lifetime thing that you're hearing. I may play the same songs or they may have the same title, mm-hmm. but they'll be very different because yeah. it, 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 I'm inspired by the moment, by the people in the audience. Mm-hmm. I get in tune with them, yeah. so they get in tune with me. It's a, it's a two-way street. Yeah. Um, lots of communication going on. I'm infused by you know, what's, out, what's going on outside the window. I did a concert in Sedona, Arizona, where we started, you know, during daylight and the beautiful red rocks, yeah. and then gradually the sun set, and we had a beautiful sunset, and then it got dark outside. Mm-hmm. So you could no longer see outside, but the windows then became reflective objects. Yeah. Yeah. They became mirrors, mm-hmm. and the people were seeing <laughs> themselves, and they got it. Nice. And it, uh, it opens up the whole performance experience yeah. in a different way than, than an audience is used to going, mm-hmm. to hear music. Yeah. You know, n- nowadays, you, you, don't, you, know, you can hear music on your computer, you mm-hmm. can hear music on your phone, mm-hmm. but you can't experience it in that multi-dimensional level yeah, yeah. when you go out there, you know. And the, the, the room temperature is going to be different. The person sitting next to you, hopefully they've showered. Yeah. If they haven't, then, you know, that's part of the experience, yeah. too. <laughs> what you had to eat, you know, if you have a headache, if mm. you're in love, if you're, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. So Nice. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, that's so, yeah, I like the low-tech aspect of it. it of it that being not, okay, here's... The thing that we do, the multimedia of here's our slides or here's, you know, a projection that it, it's tacked on sometimes. This is like, okay, here's the, here's the experience of what's going, what's going on. Yeah, I think we're so used to we have to have so much going on mm-hmm. to hold our attention. Yeah. You know, um, that if, you know, if there's not a visual going on behind mm-hmm. you, you don't know what to look at. Yeah. So that means look look inside. Yeah. Look somewhere else. Yeah. You know, it's also it's very healthy. Mm-hmm. Much more, more of a Zen experience. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, breathe. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to be stimulated at all mm-hmm. at all times. Um, you know, but by the same token, another production that I did. I've, I've, I totally maxed out with, you know, four speakers with, you know, loops going on in each speaker mm-hmm. and, you know, they, they spin around and, you know, the music is spinning clockwise and mm-hmm. counterclockwise at the same time. Mm-hmm. Plus, I've got stereo effects going on and I have an interactive visual program going on that's mm-hmm. listening to the, to the music. Oh, yeah. That was a, a production I did last year called Dreaming in Sound. So, you know, I go from the, that sort of low-tech to the uber-tech. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, it's all, it's all part of what I do yeah. and, um, because I don't give myself limitations mm-hmm. about, you know, no, that's too this or this. It's, it's too that. It's like it's intriguing. It's something I've never done before. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like this upcoming collaboration yeah. With a beatboxer. Yeah. Who'd have thought? Viola and beatboxer. I know. Yeah, t- uh, tell us a bit about that. What, what, that, that's coming up here. Yeah, so I have this uh, big premiere coming up um, on May 19th mm-hmm. at Symphony Space, and, uh, which is where we, we're in the bowels of Symphony Space yeah, right now. <laughs> in the green room. <laughs> and um, so this is actually part of... Um, I was tapped to create and curate um, a a series that's part of the Fuse project. Mm -hmm. It's a big overall. There's several different series going on. And um, so they basically, Symphony Space said, you know, basically gave me free reign to come up with any kind of idea. Mm -hmm. Um, Last year they had Nadia Sirota. Was it? I'm like, what? You know, are you masochist? You have violas curating your... I know. You know. Uh, but look, they had a great series last year. Yeah. And so I thought, what could I do? So I started exploring. Um, and I two, two very different worlds came up. Um, a fascination with 
the the word beat. That's mm-hmm. where it started. Mm-hmm. And and then because I was thinking in the back of my head, a good a great collaboration would be with Razel, this beatboxer mm-hmm. who I've collaborated with a few times. Um, I met him at the one of the Tibet House Benefit concerts a few years ago that Phil Glass produces, and mm-hmm. he was up for you know let's let's experiment with a string quartet. Yeah. Okay, beatboxer and string quartet. So we just you know improvised on the stage of Carnegie Hall. Nice. And so we kept in touch, and I thought this would be a great thing to bring him in as a collaborator. Yeah. And you know it's like two totally different worlds colliding. Yeah. And um, so the word beat kind of took over and I'm like, what beat? So beat as in, you know, beat a drum, beat boxing, beat generation. Mm-hmm. And so I started delving into the beat generation. Mm-hmm. And then there was, you know, the beats, uh, beats per minute, mm-hmm. revolutions per minute. That mm-hmm. uh, all came together and, and, and that was, that led to the idea of Gil Scott Heron's The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Mm-hmm. And so I, all of that sort of got jumbled up in my brain, and I came up with the the title, Beats Per Revolution. I like it. <laughs> and I thought that was cool. It's got a sort of ring to it. Yeah. It's got a groove to it. And so um, that was going to be the main piece. So Symphony Space mm-hmm. um, had a commission for for me and Rizal to collaborate on this piece. And um, the instrumentation is with the two of us as soloists. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's drums, bass, string quartet, saxophone, trumpet. Uh, oh, sa- uh, alto saxophone, baritone saxophone doubling on bassoon, mm. French horn, and slide trumpet. And part of that is because the beat generation, jazz was very important in the mm-hmm. beat generation. Yeah. Started listening to a lot of jazz, picked up on, um, was listening to a lot of Charles Mingus, who was mm-hmm. using bassoon and French horn. Mm-hmm. That gradually got me into um, Gunther Schuller, Third mm-hmm. Stream, who ended up, I, you know, I just did, one thing would lead to another. Yeah, and I discovered yeah. that this huge piece of music that, uh, he had that Charles Mingus had never realized in his lifetime called Epitaph, mm-hmm. that Gunther Schuller had realized it and conducted it. Uh. So I started exploring the music of Gunther Schuller. Mm-hmm. That's all in this piece. Nice. All these worlds, the Beat <laughs> Generation, Gil Scott Heron, the, um, the Last Poets, the, you know, Third Stream, Charles Mingus, and everybody in the ensemble improvises. Nice. The string players improvise, the winds, the brass, the bass, the mm-hmm. drums. And, um, and so the, the, that whole concert, it's in, it's in three parts, so they're calling it Revolution Times Three, but I'm kind of calling it The Revolution Will Be on the Stage. <laughs> and uh, it's opening with Jameo Brown and his band Transcendence. And their whole theme is they take from the past mm-hmm. and the th- whole theme of resistance. Mm-hmm. And they use, they use uh, sampled sounds from recordings of, you know, long ago mm-hmm. and bring it into a more sort of fusion and jazz realm. And so they're going to open the show and then Steve Bernstein and his band Sex Mob. Mm. So psyched, Sex Mob. <laughs> and they're going to do some music from... The, you know, that was around in the, the era of the Beat Generation, mm. culminating with a live performance of the Gil Scott Heron piece, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Nice. And then the third set is where we, we take from there and kick it off. Cool. So it's, yeah. it's really exciting. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. So that's on May 19th. Okay. That's a Friday night. And then following that... Uh, Razel is going to do some DJing, and we're going to have an ambient beat party afterwards. Oh, cool! Yeah. Um, so the other the other events the the first night is is a literary event. So we're we're teaming up with the literary department at Symphony Space. Oh, cool! And it's uh, an event that I'm calling the Beat of the Poets. Mm-hmm. And so there are three spoken word artists poets. Mm-hmm. They're sort of um, 
we're, I'm considering them mentors in a way. They're more established, and they're going to be coming in and, and reading their works and reading works of some people that have inspired them. Mm. Uh, talking about how music and beats inspire, you know, infuse mm-hmm. in their in their works. Yeah. And we have some um, up and coming spoken word artists from Urban Word that are be, going to be coming in and going to have a lot of discussion, and we're going to pull back the chairs, and we're going to have a little bit of a, a, you know, a beat-off or a jam <laughs> of sorts. We'll nice. see where that ends up. Yeah. And, uh, and then the final event on the 20th, Rozelle is leading a, a workshop for the... the uh, they have a children's department here, so it's going to be part of their uh, kitty series. Nice. Yeah. It's beatboxing bonanza, they're calling it. <laughs> nice. So... Um, that's a, that's something that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. And uh, started rehearsals, and there's a lot lot going on in there. So I have to lead and play, and mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's challenging. You know, it's a, that's a this is a new band leader. Yeah, it's a, a little bit of a new hat for me. Yeah, wear all of the other hats and the new one. <laughs> yeah, I, I need more heads for my. Head. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so one. Qu- Speaking of like you know all the hats and all the different roles that you um, you play, one one question that that I tend to get from listeners and you know I know it's something that people talk about a lot, um, especially with now, now that we have to we do have to wear all these hats you know we have to do yeah. go the sort of the entrepreneurial route and, right. and figure stuff out for ourselves. Um, there's often a question of balance, and sometimes people are asking like work life balance you know. Because, you know, so many composers are married with children, and how do I balance having a career with having a family? Or how do I balance this part of my career with that part of my career? You know, being a performer and a composer, or, you know, composing this sort of music and also composing that sort of music and keeping... How do you find your balance? What's Or, or, or do you find a balance? Mm. Someday. Someday. <laughs> I feel like I'm living in, you know, the, the film that... That was like broke broke through for Philip Glass, Koyana Skatsi, mm-hmm. Life Out of Balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, zoom. You know, at first <laughs> with all the cars zooming by, yeah. I sort of feel that way, mm-hmm. especially this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this week's a little um, crazy for you. But you know, you, you just have to take a breath. Mm-hmm. You know, like yesterday, at one point, I started to feel a little bit out of control, mm-hmm. a little overwhelmed, mm-hmm. and I thought, no, I can't get there. I, ha- I have to just do one thing at a time, and mm. let me just finish this one thing, and then mm. I can move on to this next thing. Yeah. And I did, and that sort of put me back into perspective. Um, I've been meditating a lot more, mm. I'll tell you for sure. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and just, you know, trying to breathe and, and, um, and put it all into perspective. You know, this is the life that I chose, so mm-hmm. I've got to figure out how to deal with it, yeah. you know, in a sane way and not, you know, damage too many other people. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I balance b- between my playing, like this is one of those weeks where, you know, playing with the American Composers Orchestra, you know, playing traditional viola mm-hmm. in an orchestra, playing, the, you know, uh, Desert Music by Steve Rice. And, and then I go to back to Hartford and I continue this residency with these middle and high schoolers mm-hmm. doing improvisation and having the premiere of my band piece. And, yeah. and then next week I'm doing, you know, this is apropos of what you were talking about. Um, a week from, from Saturday I'm doing um, this thing that Milica Paranozic puts together that's called, uh, she's calling it the other graduation. Yeah. And she brings in people that or like me, you know, kind of <laughs> have their hands in a lot of different different pots, and they to talk to the the students, or you know, in, uh, or um, I think it's it's aimed at either recent graduates or mm-hmm. students just graduating, or it could be for you know anybody that's just interested in how to maybe they're you know looking for a new you know new turn in their life. Yeah. So um, you know, I'm going to be doing that and talking and, and playing, discussing, and taking a lot of questions. Because mm-hmm. it's always important for me to know whenever I, I do workshops or educational events, why are the people there? What, what is it that they want to know? Yeah. And then, and then that sort of, in, you know, in turn 
lets me know where I need to take them to or I, you know, offer something to them. And, mm. and I, you know, I look in their eyes. I can sense <laughs> when, they're, when they're getting it yeah. or not. Um, but, for example, you know, she had this, this, this series that, you know, every week, every month or whatever at 2 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And, and I was scheduled to do that. And then I got called to play a concert at Carnegie Hall that, mm. that same day. And 2 o'clock we have a dress rehearsal. Yeah. I said Militza, I'd really love to do this. This is real life here. Mm-hmm. I think this is a you know great first lesson. Yeah, can we change the time? And and she you know it was first. Well, you know it's supposed to be two o'clock. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, this is life. We have to roll <laughs> with it. So she agreed. We changed the time. It's at eleven o'clock mm-hmm. on May sixth. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, information's on my website. Yeah, also. I'll, I'll make sure to have all of this in the show notes. I've actually Great. got this on my notes here. But, you know, this is what happens, you know, and, and this is what happened this week, too. I had the, had something planned out. Mm-hmm. I got called for another, you know, um, for the ACO, in fact. Yeah. And so I went back to the people that, you know, there was a conflict, and they're like, okay, we can change the date of that. Mm-hmm. So... You know, the, first you you try to see if thing you know if there's flexibility and try yeah. to make it work out. Yeah. Um, so that way you're not missing out on these opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not great to say no mm-hmm. when you get called for employment. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't like to call them gigs. They're in, you yeah. know they're it's it's a job. It's yeah. employment. Yeah. Um, I don't like to call it a job either because it's music and I love music too much to ever call it a job. Yeah. So, so there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that that whole like playing thing that we're not taken seriously because we play, but it is employment. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it does it pays the rent? Mm-hmm. It's supposed to pay the rent. Yeah, fingers crossed that it pays the rent. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just wrote um, last month in, in March. I wrote. Um, for articles for a new music box mm-hmm. about living the freelance life. Yeah. Because I've been freelancing for four years now. Um, and balance was a thing that, you know, I addressed briefly. And I yes, was like, I have to go read that. Like, I, basically saying, you know, if, if people ask me, how do you balance? It, I have a very similar answer. I don't. Yeah. You know, right now I'm working really hard on this one business of mine and it's, kind of to the, the de- detriment of everything else, including my ability to get podcasts done, you know, in advance. Um, but then, you know, once that's done, everything else sort of shifts back into, yeah. like, what's... I mean, there's no such thing as normal. There's, there's... I feel like in this life, there's no normal. No. Because, you know... Normal keeps shifting. Yeah, because there's gonna, I'm going to be recording an, an album later this year. So that's going to take over my life and it, you know mm-hmm. everything's going to shift again. And then, you know, there's going to be the commission will come, you know, come up and I have to put everything aside to write the write that music and, you know, I, I feel like the balance balance ha- is it's different depending on the day, depending on the project. That sometimes you you just have this thing right now. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of new music box, there was a um, Frank J.O. Terry did a wonderful yes. um, um, article, and it's got some videos, so if anybody wants to actually see what I look like and talk a little bit more and read you know, much more in detail, mm-hmm. Frank had some really great questions, and oh, yes. I've known him forever, and he was, he was the, the host of all of our Through the Walls series, oh, cool. so we kind of grew up together, yeah. and um, and through his many, you know, haircuts and, mm-hmm. and <laughs> or just you know, longer, like, longer, longer, longer. <laughs> but but um, yeah, great things going on at New Music Box too. It's great. There's some yeah. cross pollination going on of mm-hmm. you know this these informational sites yeah, and doing, sounds. They're doing some really cool stuff. Yeah, I like them a lot. And I knew you when Dennis. You were just a young up and coming. <laughs> student composer of David Del Tredici. Yeah, you, you did you do the contracting for the, the ensemble? Yeah, Musicians Accord was mm-hmm. the resident ensemble. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was that was fun for um, for those of you who 
I think you all know that I studied with David Del Tredici at City College and twice a, twice a semester, right? Used to be, yeah. Um, Back yeah, in the now, good old days. Yeah, now. And then it was one, and now it's gone. Yeah, gone. yeah the, the, I think the whole grad program's gone. Yeah, he, he retired, and mm -hmm. that um, was it. But yeah, we'd have, we would have to write for this chamber ensemble, small chamber or It was such a bizarre but cool instrumentation. Yeah, it ended up... It, it, it was shifted. Like, yeah. Usually violin, viola, cello. Sometimes there would somebody, somebody's friend would come in and play second violin. So we'd have a quartet. Mm -hmm. There was bass. Mm -hmm. It was always a trombone. <laughs> yeah. French horn usually, flute, clarinet. Typically, yeah. And then piano. Piano, yes. A lot of times David playing and conducting. Mm -hmm. And uh, for a number of years before I started there, and I think even a little bit afterward, I would pop in and sing. Yes. Which yeah. was fun. Yeah, that was, that was, it was always inter interesting writing for that ensemble because um, you didn't necessarily know what it was. You, you couldn't look really far ahead no. and know what it was going to be. Um, so, yeah, David would say, write a piano piece, and then we'll orchestrate it. So once we knew the instrumentation. Yeah, okay, I mean, that was a go. great opportunity because yeah. comp composers, you know, don't often have the opportunity. Now they think, you know, they write their their scores into Sibelius mm -hmm. or Finale and they play it. Ain't going to sound like that. No. <laughs> it's it's a, a great lesson in um, balance. It's you a, know, instrumental yeah. balance. Yeah. <laughs> You're writing for the trumpet here? Okay, that's going to overpower everybody. Yeah. You have to either balance them out or use that. Yeah. And I remember back in those first few years, too, everything was was written in pencil. Mm -hmm. And then gradually everything was, you know, done in a computer program. Yeah. And you can tell. You can hear it. That mm -hmm. way, because it's very easy to copy and paste yep. or put things up a whole step or mm -hmm. a half step or move something around by an yeah. eighth note. And at, you know, writing off out of the computer is a very different experience. Oh, completely different. I, I, just, I find that when, I'm, when I write with the viola in my hand mm -hmm. and when with the electronics, it's a very different experience than, than writing at the keyboard with a keyboard. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I start my process. I always start at the piano. Just with, you know, staff paper and pencil. Work it out, you know, get the, get the broad, broad ideas, know where I'm going, and then bring it to the computer and mm -hmm. finish, do the finishing touches. I feel it's a, a nice way of using both parts of the brain. Yeah. Yeah, and a skill that it's, uh, you know, not too many people have the patience to do mm -hmm. these days. So yeah. all depends on the teachers. It does, yeah. Sometimes the teacher will not allow you to do that. Yeah. Sometimes they encourage it. Yeah. yeah. So it'd be good to uh, study with somebody from the old school. <laughs> there are definite advantages to that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was actually, a few weeks ago, in March, was the, the Tibet House Benefit concert, and I was sitting backstage talking with Philip Glass, mm -hmm. um, who, you know, had, he had studied with Nadia Boulanger. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, I, I was asking him about that experience, and he said he was terrified most of the time. <laughs> you know, from everything from, you know, arriving... A minute late, mm -hmm. where if he arrived a minute late, he wouldn't even knock on the door. He would just go home. Yeah. To coming in and maybe not being so prepared with your with mm -hmm. your lessons and mm -hmm. and um, you know and the work that he had to do. Yeah. In in studying with her, mm -hmm. you know, and then there were group sessions with with other composers as well, yeah. um, but just the level of you know, ear training that had to go on mm -hmm. in there and the playing of the inner, you know, inner lines and yeah. and the right way, you know, you had to know your, all your rules and regulations <laughs> for that. Like, yeah. For me, forget it, I would be out the window. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I Sometimes I wish I'd had more of a strict yeah. teacher. Mine were pretty, you know, strict enough. Dar Dar uh, Darian, my husband, he did his master's 
at Juilliard, and he has stories of certain teachers just being like, all right, you know, tomorrow you're going to come in, and you've got this Bach chorale, and there, it's it, four different clefs, and you're going to have to play three lines and sing one, and you won't know until you sit down which line you'll be singing. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's... My hair just turned white. <laughs> oh, it was white. <laughs> I mean, that, that sounds intense. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. Great but, skill to but have. But amazing to see somebody actually do that. Yeah. I know very few musicians who could really do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a skill that we value much anymore. Yeah. Let's talk about something we can do. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually... Play. Where are we? We're just over the... Yeah, just over the hour mark here. Okay. So um, is there any... Let me make sure that I have all... That I hit all the points on my notes here. We did. Good for us. Um, Is there any, like, parting wisdom you want to offer for for composers and performers, you know, figuring out their careers? Anything you wish you'd heard? Well, you know, I just... I think I'd wish that I had been a little more savvy to the technology part of it. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying the, like you know, the music notating part, mm-hmm. but the coming to terms with the fact that our music, once it's out there in the world, mm-hmm. it stops being music to a certain extent. It becomes mm-hmm. content. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to accept that. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm still coming to terms with that. Yeah. Um, but there's some music makers out there that were just more savvy mm-hmm. with social media, mm-hmm. with getting their their music and their name out there. Mm-hmm. So they became more known entities. Yeah. Um, so I wish that I had had that skill earlier on. Mm-hmm. I'm late to the table with that, which I think a lot of institutions and organizations are also late to the table with yeah. that. Yeah, I think that's why a lot of us tend to be on the late side is we're, we're, we're not given the... It's not made imperative that we... Yeah, this and stuff. this is why I think that, you know, this new generation, they're a lot more savvy mm-hmm. in that. They yeah. know how to get, you know, they know how to work the the angles with everything that's downloadable and mm-hmm. streamable and where you can market, mm-hmm. monetize. Yeah. Those are words that we really didn't have to deal with 20 years ago. Yeah, or, and they're know. still kind of dirty words in in a lot of quarters, it, it's still it's still icky for people. Yeah, it is. But, but guess what? That's where we are. Yep. And yeah, I'm. I frequently say um, that you know you you are creating art, but the minute that it's done, the minute the minute that it's like basically published and ready to go out into the world, it is also a product. Mm-hmm. And you have it's still your baby, but it's also a product that's on your shelf. It's yeah. your catalog, and it's something that you can you can market it in a way that's um, that's elegant and ethical. <laughs> you know, I mean, t- um, hold on to as much control mm-hmm. as you can, or as makes sense to. Mm-hmm. But if you want to get it out into the world, you got to let it go. Mm-hmm. You got to give some stuff away. Mm -hmm. I, I, for a long time, I'm like, no, I don't want people just downloading my music for free. Mm -hmm. I don't want this and that. And then I realized nobody's listening to it. Nobody Mm -hmm. knows about it. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to give a little bit away. Yeah. To get them to come back and want more. Mm -hmm. So that's the fine line that I'm still learning about dealing with now. Yeah. where, Where, how much is being generous? And giving, you know, and, and also trying to be the drug dealer. Like, you know, hey, here's a taste. You know, I, <laughs> and how much is just, like, giving away the farm? It's, it's, a, it's a different world. I get, mm-hmm. a, you know, if I'm lucky, I get a check from, you know, from Spotify or, or, or one of those streaming things for two cents. Oh, yeah, you know? I know. So <laughs> where do I go with that? Yeah. It's not even worth the, the paper it's written on. Oh, seriously. But on a more upbeat note. Yeah. 
do your art, find your voice. Exactly, exactly. And meet nice people. Mm -hmm. Meet lovely people. Lovely people. That's where we started. Yes. All you lovely people. Hope you're all still there. Are you there? Hello. (laughs) Go out and listen to music. Yes. Go out and listen to Martha's Go and experience music. Come to Symphony Space on May 19th Mm -hmm. to hear me and Razelle rock the house. The revolution will be on the stage. Yes. Awesome. So where can we find you online? Online, I have a website. That is my name, www.marthamooke.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I have an artist page mm-hmm. also with that same name. I'm on Twitter. Uh, you can probably find me with that name. I'm also known as Elec Viola. Nice. I've got a YouTube channel. I've got it all. Yeah. You got it all. I got it all. <laughs> so please, you know, visit me. Drop me a note online. Mm-hmm. Um, Listen to some things, buy some tunes, mm-hmm. um, and uh, keep tuning in. And keep tuning in to this really cool podcast. Yeah. Coming up on a year here, folks. Um, so Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Martha, thank you for, for, ah, for my sitting pleasure. with me this afternoon. Um, and everybody, yeah, check out Martha's music. Uh, she's fantastic. Um, you know, check out the, the May 18th event here at Symphony Space. May 19th. May 19th. May 19th. May 19th. Did I say 18th? It's a Friday night. Okay. There is an event on the 18th. That's a literary event. Okay. It's going to be cool, too. But the 19th is the big concert okay. with Steve Bernstein, not Bernstein, mm-hmm. and Sex Mob. Yes. And Jumeo Brown and Transcendence. And they're both playing with our with my band, with okay. Beats Per Revolution. Awesome. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so check that out. Check out uh, The Other Graduation, where Martha's speaking. Uh, on, on May 6th. That's May 6th. somewhere in Harlem. And um, that will all be in the show notes. So, again, thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.